What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Nathan Solomon Show, hosted by yours truly. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday. Broadcasting to you live, as usual, from atop the Riley Center at St. Bonaventure University, here at WSBU, The Buzz, 88.3 FM. Uh, welcome into the show today. We've got a lot to talk about, especially in the MLB and the NFL. We're going to talk about the World Series and a couple of very poor decisions, to say the least, that happened, especially last night. Then we're going to get into the Jets and Bills game. We're gonna we're gonna break down that game and look look at the outlook of the of the Bills, the Jets, the Giants over the next few weeks, and then from there we're gonna go into so a little bit of NBA offseason stuff, talk a little bit NBA draft, and then from there we're gonna talk some PGA Tour golf, the Zozo Championship, and then if we have some time we might delve into a little bit of racing, but it's kind of tough because they're racing right now after a bunch of rain delays in Texas. So without further ado, let's get started here on this chilly Wednesday evening from Western New York. We're going to be talking about the World Series. So last night, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they win Game 6 of the World Series by a score of 3-1, to one, and they... It's Game 6, so they, they win the World Series. They are the champions for the first time since 1988. So let's just kind of talk about how we got to Game seven first, or Game 6 first, before we kind of delve into exactly what happened in Game 6. So Game 1, Dodgers win 8-3. Kershaw pitches the gem. Game 2, Rays even it out 6-4. Game 3, Dodgers win 6-2. Game four, Tampa Bay wins eight seven. That was the game where we had that, where there was that big play with um, Brett, Brett Phillips came in. He got the, the 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 pinch hit single, one run scored. In part because of the error in center field by Chris Taylor. The other part was just that you know it's a single. The single's gonna score a run. So it would have tied the game anyway. But then the the mix-up between Max Muncy and Will Harris on the relay home, Will Harris kind of just whiffs at it, and it winds up being a Rays win. Game 5, Dodgers are able to win 4-2, another great game from Kershaw. And then Game 6, which was last night, Dodgers won 3-1. So, let's recap the game, game seven, very quickly here. Um, of course, you know, the, the Rays, they only scored one run, but of course you know who it's going to be from. The one and only Randy Rosarena hit his, I think it was his 11th home run of the, um, of the postseason. His, like, no, regardless of, 10th home run of the postseason, I'm sorry. I mean, obviously... One of the best individual postseasons of all time. You know, records for the most home runs, and I think it was hits in in a single postseason. I think it was. And it was his first postseason, and he still has rookie status. He barely played this year. I mean, he only had 64 at-bats in the regular season. I mean, the way he played in the regular season, he played well in the regular season. 281, 7 home runs, 11 RBIs. He just, you know, clearly hits a lot of his extra base hits when nobody's on, so he, his his run production isn't quite where it should be. But, I mean, 
he is batting, you know, second. So there, there's not always that guy on to, to to bring in, especially when you're hitting, you know, home runs in the first inning. But a Rose Arena with with individually the the best postseason in history. What what he did this, this postseason was incredible. Um, but yeah, he hit a home run like what six pitches into the game or something. And Rays took a one nothing lead. Blake Snell pitched. Well, yeah, Blake Snell pitched for the Rays. Dodgers did basically a bullpen game. They started the game with Tony Gonsolin. He only went one and two thirds. And then, you know, they just got a couple innings here and there. Flora came in for an out. Alex Wood for two innings. Pedro Baez for two thirds. Victor Gonzalez for an inning and a third. Gratterall came in for a couple of outs. So. It was really just a, a variety of different guys that got the job done. I mean, starters like Wood and Gonsolin, they saw saw some action. I think they were hoping they'd maybe get a little bit more out of Gonsolin. I mean, only one one and two-thirds innings, 48 pitches, that's high. But anyhow, Dodgers do a bullpen game, and it worked. I mean, they only held the Rays to that one run. And then the Rays, or the, the Dodgers, they scored their, their two of their three runs in the sixth inning. Wild pitch and um, scored a fielder's choice, but it was virtually an infield single. Tough play. The first runner came; he was safe. So Dodgers were up two to one, and then in the eighth inning, Mookie Betts hit a home run to center field, a right center field. So it was a game that, despite the fact that the Rays only scored one run, it was a game that the Rays should have won. I mean, because it this is another example of overmanaging, and we talked about this a few weeks ago with Aaron Boone and the New York Yankees when when Boone started Davy Garcia in game game two of the of the wild card series against the Rays, only pitched him an inning, decided to get over analytical, Ivy Leaguerish as Alex Rodriguez said on the post on the MLB on Fox post game show, so. You know, Boone overmanaged there. He put he puts Happ in. He he gives up two home runs, four runs. So, with Kevin Cash on the Rays, he overmanaged again, like or like like Aaron Boone. So, Blake Snell is absolutely cruising through five innings. So he gives up over through not through five innings. He's one hit, nine strikeouts. So, the sixth inning starts. Snell comes in, gets a pop up. All right, whatever. Next guy comes in, he gives a, I guess, a pretty hard hard hit ball to center field, a, a base hit. His second hit of the game, allowed. He's at 73 pitches, top of the sixth, one out. Kevin Cash comes out and pulls him, which is a shocking decision. Because, I mean, that was the, yesterday was the best I've seen Blake Snell all season. He, like... He was placing everything exactly where he wanted them to, and with the exception of those two hits, they couldn't they couldn't hit anything. His fastball was touching a hundred, but he he was just so dialed in. He was the the best he's he was all year, and Kevin Cash overmanages and takes him out. So he gives up one run officially. It's you know charges his name because because the hit that he gave up that runner scored. So. Nick Anderson comes in, 
he gives up two runs. Well, one official run, one Snell's run. You know, in Anderson's defense, you know, he you know gave up one hit, but it was you know a wild pitch and a in a in a fielder's choice infield single type ish thing that those runners scored on. And then the Pete Fairbanks in the eighth, he gives up that home run to Mookie Betts. It is what it is. But again, like just just Kevin Cash in that game was just another example of of MLB managers over managing, trying to rely too heavily on analytics. Like, listen, I get it. Analytics are a huge part of the game, and you need to rely on analytics to a certain extent. However, you can't over-rely on analytics because sometimes relying on analytics isn't always going to be right. Sometimes you just kind of got to trust your gut. He said that he didn't that he didn't have a leash on Snell. I mean, it almost looked like he did, but he said that he didn't want Snell to, to face the um, face the top of the or the order altogether a third time around, which. I get that. I mean, the third time around, the um, the batting averages significantly increase for for batters. But again, Snell was the best he's been all year, and I mean, it's not like you're going to use Snell in Game Seven. I mean, not that there would be a Game Seven tonight, even if the Rays win, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But um, I just don't get it, man. That was that was a bad decision. Similar to to like Aaron Boone and the Yankees, I mean, it, it could have cost the cost you know cost the World Series chances, and I think most likely would have if if he doesn't do that, I think Snell you know there's an eighty ninety percent chance he gets out of the inning, and then and that Rays either win this game one nothing or it's one one and it goes to extra innings, and then you know whatever happens happens. If you lose, you lose, but you're not gonna get crap for it. But that's not what happened. Made a cost to raise the World Series. However, it's he. You know he's not gonna get. Kevin Cash isn't gonna get fired for this. He's he's one of the best managers in, in the league. And if you look, were to look at this roster, you would think no way this team ever makes it to the World Series or even the playoffs for that matter. Yet this team took the, took the Dodgers, who you know in their defense was the best best team in baseball, undoubtedly the best team in baseball this year. You know, take them to six games. You know, Dodgers were forty three and seventeen. Rays were forty and twenty. But you know, for a Yankees fan myself, like myself, I mean, really in the end, the the two best teams made it to the World Series, and it was just one bad decision by by Kevin Cash that cost him. Not going to cost him his job, but it's certainly going to sting for a while. The Rays, they're not going anywhere. I mean, Yankees raised in the postseason is a thing that I think you're going to get very used to over the next two years. So there is sure to be some good battles. I mean, there's been some, you know, regular season stuff where we've seen kind of that rivalry unleash a little bit. But Yankees Rays are going to be, they're going to be powerhouses for a long time. But, like I said, if, even if they're, even if the Rays won last night, there, there would have been a Game 7 tonight, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we're going to take a quick break here on WSD The Buzz. I'm Nathan Solomon. We'll be right back from St. Bonaventure University in the Riley Center. You're listening to WSD Universe. We're not broadcasting from underwater, but we could if we wanted to.
So, welcome back to WSB The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. So, as I said, even if there was going to be a Game 7, it would not have been tonight because the Dodgers win the World Series and they virtually... The, the, the infield of Globe Life Park becomes a COVID super spreader because they found out in the middle of the game that Justin Turner... A third baseman for the Dodgers, you know, who's playing and everything, tested positive for the coronavirus. So basically what had happened is his test from Monday hadn't came back till Tuesday, right? It came back inconclusive on Tuesday in like the second inning. And when, when, a, when a COVID test comes back inconclusive, it's not something that they worry about a lot because there's a ton of inconclusives just like you know with how much is unknown about this virus it's just you know the readings can be a little off and inconclusive don't always mean positive in, in the end but that test was inconclusive so just to be sure they wanted to expedite his test from tuesday they did they found out in the sixth or seventh inning of yesterday's game that turner's test from tuesday was positive he was playing. He had just had an at bat, playing third base. You know, talk. You know, being right next to to Ray's batters and whatever. He tests positive. They take him out of the game. When they take him out of the game, they don't they don't know why right away. But after the game, um, Kevin Burkhart comes on to start the, the the post game show before the the ceremony and everything. That to, to say that that Justin Turner tested tested positive, and you know the. The, the, the normal stuff, you know, he's in isolation or whatever. But here's the catch. Well, first of all, despite him testing positive and potentially already infecting all of his teammates, the Dodgers continued to celebrate on the field. Um, I'm not really sure if they, if all the players knew what was going on, but then they cut, after a little bit, they cut to a shot of, of, of in World Series employees that, like, you know, um, handing out masks like crazy. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, they, they just found, all the players find, found out what happened. So I guess that's one thing, you know, that's not as dangerous, I guess, because there's, everybody's starting to wear masks a bit now, and, you know, everybody had tested po negative up until then. And, you know, maybe it was a false positive, you know, you, you, you never know. And then, all of a sudden, the Fox starts, you know, showing pictures or more videos of, of the celebrations, and Justin Turner's on the field. Like, what? So, they put him in isolation, apparently not at the stadium right away. They were, or at the stadium immediately, sorry, instead of taking him back to the hotel or, or wherever. They told him he needs to stay in isolation, you know, the normal COVID protocol. And he insisted on coming out on the field, and he came out on the field for the celebration and pictures, maskless and whatever. So then security finds out that he, like, breached through, got through the dugout, got through the clubhouse and everything, and he's on the field. They try asking him, get him to leave. He doesn't leave. He stays on the field, celebrates, hugging teammates and whatever. So... The, the infield all of a sudden turned into a COVID super spreader event. 
and they would not have played tonight. And I don't know if, when they would have played Game 7 of the World Series because it probably would not have been anytime soon because obviously with all the unknowns about it, the incubation period for the virus is like 2 to 14 days. And they would have maybe had to wait that long before you could actually play the game. And that would have massively messed up the postseason because, because free agency starts in five days. Well, technically all players are free agents right now. But like actual free agency, like 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 written physical agreements begin in five days from now. And, you know, their options are with are within the next five days, so but that would have massively messed up the postseason. So it's things are very fortunate that the Dodgers won right or the, that the Dodgers won the World Series over because if the Rays won then it would have been the MLB would have gotten mess, really messy. And this look for, for Justin Turner and, and the Dodgers and the MLB is not a good look at all. I mean, it's... Obviously, that's all everybody was talking about. And it, it, it just puts MLB in that negative light. So, Turner has not had any media availability yet. But he's got some, uh, some explaining to do about all of that. So do the Dodgers. I mean, they're kind of, you know dodging questions and, and whatnot, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I get it. You want to celebrate with your team, but on, at the same time, you can't just go on the field and potentially spread that virus, an out of, a virus that, that, that cannot be controlled right now. I mean, it, it's, the mo- it's one of the most contagious diseases right now, and in, until there's a vaccine, it's going to stay that way, you know, regardless if everybody's asymptomatic or not. Some maybe... You know, somebody on that on the coaching staff might not end up being asymptomatic if if they get it. So you just never know. Again, not a good look for the MLB. Not a good look for Justin Turner. Not a good look for the Dodgers. So that's just kind of wow. <laughs> so that's kind of a lot to um, unravel with with that whole situation. So we'll see what what's made of it the next few days. But we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're just we're going to kind of just recap, you know, this MLB season. Talk about this offseason a little bit. Talk about some predictions for 2021 with baseball and the coronavirus. So we'll be right back here on WSBU The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. I'm Nathan Solomon. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Buzz, 7 o'clock hour with yours truly, Nathan Solomon. Um, so talk about a little bit about this year and next year. So overall, this season was a success. It was 60 games. Was that unfortunate? Absolutely. Would I have wished the, game, the, series, or the season was, was much longer? Yes, of course I would have. But... 
those 60 games allowed us to have some sense of normalcy in this god-awful year. There was obviously a lot of uncertainty about whether this season would be played all together. It would have been hard to hold a bubble for 30 teams that play, you know, on those big fields and everything with series and playing every day. Like, just the, the way the MLB is, is set up and formatted and everything, it's not a great combination for for a season bubble. It obviously can work for a, a postseason bubble in a bunch of different locations because there's not really traveling in that sense with, like, a bubble. But MLB is just one of those sports that a bubble can't work, and that's the same for the NFL. But it, it was certainly good to see baseball this year. Um, I really thought that the season was going to get canceled back in, in, in April and May when you know we were re, you know, researching and writing about it. Shout out Empire Sports Media. Um, but there is... I, I'm just glad that there is a season this year. It would have definitely been weird to, to go through October and not be, you know, sitting down to watch postseason baseball every night. Definitely, whoa, definitely would have been weird not to, to watch the Yankees every night. I mean, not that I was able to watch the Yankees as much as I wanted to back when I uh, got to college here. However, I'm, you know, it was just good to see some baseball. But it was successful for the most part. There's some hiccups early on with, you know, there not being some... No, not necessarily strict, maybe, but set in stone COVID protocols. Um, you know, there's there's a lot, you know, little bits of, of protocols that were kind of just you know missing a little bit of information here and there. So when there was an outbreak, there there wasn't, you know, some people weren't sure what to do. So the Marlins had their thing. The Cardinals had their thing without breaks, but, but you know, they, I, I, they apparently went out and they, they contracted COVID that way. And apparently that was enough for the for teams to realize that, all right, this is this is a serious thing. We got to like got to buckle down here. We got to we got we got to be serious here. We, we, we can't go out. We got to, you know, just, just play baseball for 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 two months and. If you know another outbreak comes, and it, it could affect the season, and if if there's a bunch of outbreaks, if a bunch of teams had outbreaks, then I think that we would have seen the cancellation of the season. But fortunately, we didn't. They other teams learned from their mistakes, and we were able to have a successful year and go almost, you know, almost two months without a, without a positive COVID test, which is great. Which shows that you don't necessarily need a bubble if you're being smart about everything. Now, on the other hand, with Justin Turner testing positive for COVID here in this quote-unquote bubble that they were using for the postseason, um, I'm not really sure how it got in there because, you know, the, the team has been with each other and only each other and, you know, their, their family that they've been staying with in the hotel rooms for, for, for a month. So that confuses me. Maybe a, maybe a an outside you know staff worker could have brought it in. I get it. There were fans there for the NLCS and World Series in Arlington, but I mean the fans. They, I mean they were they were sitting far enough back. It's not like they're sitting front row right behind the dugout. They kept their distance. They they blocked off the first sections. 
Therefore, you know, the fans couldn't have anywhere close to, like, you know, they couldn't be within 20, 30 feet of, of the athletes, which, you know, I get it. Do everything you can to protect the athletes. But, so, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how COVID got brought in. Maybe did somebody breach the bubble? I mean, I think I read that they could have, you know, food delivered, but they couldn't, like, actually go out of their hotel unless it was to, like, the ballpark. But, anyway, it was mainly successful. Um, now, with the offseason here, there's there's some big names on the free agent market. It'll be really interesting to see where they all go to, what teams will look like for next year, and then specifically what the actual season will look like for next year. Right now, the plan is to do a full 162-game season, which is great. I'm all for it. I love baseball. I, I'm, I just want to see you know everything back to normal, see my Yankees play every day. And, you know, so be it. But uh, obviously things can change. There could be, depending on how the outbreaks or the, the COVID is this winter, could, could dictate that on if the season gets cut down a little bit, if they postpone the start of the season. And, and, and that's the same for all the other leagues, you know. The NBA, I don't think they're going to do a bubble for next season, at least a regular season, if COVID's still, you know, this bad next next summer, next next summer, really, then they might do a bubble for the postseason again. Or the, or the playoffs, which it worked. They lost money, but it worked. Um, but... And, and in 2021, I'd obviously love to see minor league baseball come back. I think that, I mean, minor league baseball is so important for the MLB. I mean, it, it allows players to develop properly. It, it brings in money if, you know, obviously teams are ran right. And it, it just gives, it allows more people to see baseball games. It gets, I mean, that's how you're going to grow fans right there. If you don't have minor league baseball, then it's going to be tough to grow fans in the future. And minor league baseball is already downsizing, but if you eliminate it altogether or it doesn't come back until COVID's completely in control, then it's going to hurt baseball in the long run. I mean, baseball, it, it, they're struggling a bit already. Rob Manfred does not know what he's doing, and, and, and that hurts That hurts baseball. I mean, he's pretty dumb for a, for a Cornell graduate, let me tell you that, but... Under Rob Manfred, I don't know if baseball will have the success it once it, it ever once would. I mean, the runner runner is checking to start extra innings, a three the three batter minimum. Like, come on, you can't have that. I'm, you know, what well, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. I like analytics, but in terms of rules and everything, I'm I'm sort of a tra- a rules traditionist traditionalist rather. You know, I, I, I like, you know, having lefty specialists, and I'm all for keeping umpires and not switching to robo-umps, because having those umpires kind of just keeps that, that traditional aspect of the game. I, you know, no runner on second, that's BS. I mean, so I love that they just keep all those old rules. I'm, I'm indifferent about the NLDH, but we can get into that another time. And then, you know... In terms of fans, I'd like to see f- at least a limited attendance at all games. I mean, it, f- as far as we know, it worked, and as far as we know, there weren't any outbreaks tied with with fans attending the um, games in Texas. So, 
it, it would save them a little bit of money if if you could do a socially distant crowd and and it would kind of give back a little bit of that aspect to baseball of like you know a fan experience and you know get players going a little bit more on the field in big situations and everything. So I think that's important. I'd love to see fans back, but we'll see what happens. Definitely gonna be an interesting off season though, an, an interesting few months. Will be a lot of talk, a lot, a lot to talk about about the MLB postseason because or the MLB offseason. Because the thing about the MLB, or the MLB offseason, they just dive right into everything. Like right after the World Series, boom, options right away, boom, free agency five days later. So we'll see. We'll be right back on the buzz where after we come back, we'll be talking some NFL action. We're gonna break down the Jets and Bills game. Stay with us. I'm Nathan Solomon, and you're listening to WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. Be right back with y'all. You are strong. We are resilient, and we will get through this together. But things are stressful, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at readbroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Welcome back to The Buzz. Nathan Solomon with y'all. Hope you all are having a great Wednesday. I am. You can't, can't ever be today here on the Campus of St. Bonaventure University, pandemic or not. Always got to love it here. So, Jets and Bills. They played a, to say it lightly, a rather ugly game on Sunday. Bills won 18-10 and never scored a touchdown. Jets did score a touchdown, which is shockingly shocking enough in itself. Um... So Darnold, Sam Darnold, misses two weeks from an injury, comes back, and he wasn't too bad in the first half. Second half, Sam was very bad. Only one completion in the second half. But he was like 11 for 13 in the first half. Things went downhill with like a minute left. He threw a pick, a a really bad pick. Awful read. Like, it... It was just one of those, like, brain farts. And... He got picked, and it went downhill from there. He, you know, one, like I said, one completion in the second half. They didn't, they had like 14 total yards in the second half. Three now, three now, three now, three now. I think they got one first down. Yeah, and it was like late off of a, tar- like a, car- a targeting call or something. Um, to, on, uh, or against Prashad, per- or for Prashad Perriman, rather. Um... Yes, good in the first half. Second half was rough. The he had two picks total. The pick in the, in the second half towards the end of the game. I'm I'm not gonna blame him for that. It got batted up in the air, and then whoever it was, I think it was. Oh, I think it was Jerry Hughes, was it? I think it was Jerry Ho- Jerry Hughes that um, he got deflected and he just like picked it out of the air like an Easter egg. So not much you can do there. That basically, well, it did end the game for the Jets. Frank Gore was good though. 
that old man ran for 60 yards and only 11 carries. Had a couple a couple nice gains. Um, his longest was 13. Um, I also liked what I saw from, from Michael Perrine. 11 carries for 40 yards, including a 20-yard run and a touchdown, a s separate runs. But Perrine, like their four, I think it was their fourth rounder, was it? Yeah, their fourth rounder this year. He's had some flashes of brilliance. Um, that was his first career touchdown, so congrats to him. It's always, you know, a big thing when you score your first touchdown. But, I mean, he certainly has developing to do. I don't know if he's the running back of the future. I think the Jets might need to draft a running back eventually. Maybe it's this year. And we can talk, we'll talk about that in just a minute, you know, talking draft options. But, um... And then, also on offense, Denzel Mims. He he played his first game as a Jet. He was on. He was hurt. Four receptions, forty-two yards. Longest was sixteen. Looked good in the first half. The offense was great in the first half. Like it looked like a normally functioning offense. Didn't look like the like the only winless team in the NFL. It looked like a like a decent team. Um. But you know, seven targets. He was good. He 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 looked good. I think he he has a, he has a solid career ahead of him. He has a lot of he has a strong potential. So I'm excited to see what he'll do the rest of the year. I think hopefully him and Sam will work good together. But we'll see what happens. For the Jets though, on defense, it was their best defensive game of the year by far. I know they gave up 18 points, but they didn't give up a single touchdown, which is good. It was not, that came off of them only giving up three points in the second half, the game before to the Dolphins. So they, they, they let Sebastian, or I think it's Sebastian Bass. Ba Tyler Bass, not Sebastian Bass. I don't know where I got Sebastian from. Tyler Bass, they, they let him kick eight field goals, attempts, made six, missed two. He had some long ones. Like, I mean... The Bills weren't helping him with, with in terms of the field goals and everything. I mean, they were deep kicks that, that he had to make. I mean, I don't think he had anything inside like thirty six yards. So I guess six of eight's not terrible. I was as a Jets fan, I was counting on the Bills missing a few, a few kicks, and they did. But the Jets were unable to score more than ten points. They had an opportunity in the first quarter, fourth and one from like the twenty ish. Gates decides to go for it. I like the call to go for it. I really do. I don't like the play call, though. I think they did a read option. They got hit behind the line. It's a turnover on downs. I think if you pass it, I mean, Sam was passing the ball really well then. So I think if you if you passed it, then they would have done. They, they would have gotten it. And if they got if they got that first down, then I think that they probably would have scored there. It would have been at least, well, 18-17, but... The outcome of the game could have changed immensely if the Jets won that won that game. They would have gone up like seventeen nothing too, or seventeen three, I think it was. So they don't go though. Defense is getting there. I mean, they have a couple of. Uh, I mean, they they shouldn't have some guys that are are, are good defend defenders. I mean, Avery Williamson and Marcus May have already proven that they're good defenders, but Neville Hewitt, he had a great game. 13 total tackles. He has 59 on the season. You know, kind of having a little bit of a breakout year with the Jets, which is good to see. 
Hopefully, he is somebody that's going to want to stay with the Jets, and hopefully he's going to be somebody that the Jets can can use and, and use him for and, and, and make an impact. I mean, just think of how, like, they're deep. If they, had, if they have Jamal Adams right now, if they didn't trade him, and if C.J. Mosley didn't opt out, they would have a really solid defense. They really would. However, those aren't the case right now. And they are 0-7, the Jets are. <laughs> Not good things happening in East Brotherford, New Jersey. But the Bills, though, they go they go to 5-2. Or they, they advance to 5-2. and two. Josh Allen, he was pretty good. He just couldn't find the end zone. 30-43, of 43, 307 yards. I mean, you wouldn't have seen that happening any time last year. Even a good game for Josh Allen last year and the year before. You know, you wouldn't see that happening. So, Allen gets back on track after two rough games. Um, but the Bills need more of that, plus some touchdowns. I mean, in their defense, I mean, the, like, I mean, the Jets, the Jets had good red zone defense. I mean, every time the Bills got on, you know, on their on on the Jets side of the field, the the Jets just came up with big stops. They they got some some help from penalties, but the Jets got some big stops when they needed to. And I mean. If, if, if they don't have that red zone defense, Buffalo wins, and it's not pretty. But, you know, the, the Jets' the defense showed a few a few glimpses of hope, gl- glimmers, glimpses, glimmers, you know, of hope as to thinking that maybe down the road or next year they could have a comparable defense. Um, Zach Moss for the, for, for the Buffalo Bills had a little bit of a breakout game, seven carries for 47 yards. The rookie... Even had a run for 26 yards. He's looked good this year. Cole Beasley, big game for him. Again, not scoring any touchdowns, but 11 receptions for 112 yards. 12 targets. Great game for him. Looking at the rest of the receiving, Tyler Croft, 4 for for 64 with a 38-yard reception late in the game. Helped kind of put off the Jets, or put away the Jets. Stefan had six receptions. Moss had three for 25. So Moss is definitely showing that he can compete with Singletary for the, for, for the, for the reps. Shows that, that, that maybe he deserves to be the starter over Singletary. And, I mean, the Bills' defense, they, they clutched up in the second half. I mean, they, allowing 14 yards, it doesn't matter if it's the Jets, I mean, or, or not. Giving up only like 14 yards in the second half, that that's impressive. That is really impressive. So, the, the, they clutched up. If the defense didn't clutch up, the, the Jets win that game. And it's, you know, it, it, it's blatantly obvious. So, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Bills and Jets. Touch quickly on the Giants before getting into a little bit of NBA PGA stuff. We'll be right back on WSBU The Buzz St. Bonaventure.
Welcome back to the buzz. Hope you enjoyed that message from Nemo. Um, so Jets, Giants, and Bills right now. Bills are looking pretty, 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 pretty. Um, they've currently got a two lead, a two game lead over Miami in the division with New England coming back, or or new, them new playing New England next week. Geez, got the. Don't know how to talk for for a quick second. Um, right now, they're in good position to win the division. As much as I hate it, but you know, five and two, two game lead, especially with a victory this week over New England, that puts them in really good position to win the AFC East. However, they'll probably do what they usually do, losing the first round, but. Um, they're they're in pretty good shape though for at least for the playoffs. Obviously, anything can happen in the playoffs, but again, we'll see what happens with them. Um, so, like I said, New England this week two and four. Then they have two really tough games coming afterwards. Seattle, who is five and one right now. I mean, and Kyler Murray, who is five and two. So two right now of the most dominant quarterbacks they got to face. But right now, the only thing just hindering the Bills is is their consistency. If they get a little bit more consistency, then they're going to be a really good team, and they're going to be a team that's going to be a tough out in the playoffs. For the Jets, though, the tank-a-thon is on, as they say. They're looking like the favorite for the first overall pick. In theory, Trevor Lawrence. However, he's considering staying another year at Clemson. I mean, not that he's struggled or anything. I mean, Lawrence has been great. But he don't want to play for the Jets. He don't want to play for the Jets, guys. Right now in the NCAA, he's fifth in yards with 1,833. Tied for second in touchdowns with 17. Just two picks and an 86.6 QB rating. So... He's certainly NFL ready, and he's probably going to be the first overall pick if he goes. He does not want to play for the Jets. I don't know why, though. I mean, I get that the Jets are a bad team, but money's money. I mean, if I was in his position, I don't. I wouldn't care who I played for. I'd be getting a paycheck. I mean, I don't get it, man. However. I don't think it's impossible that, that, that the Jets make some trades. And I'm okay with them giving up the first overall pick, if they have it, as long as they get at least two first-round picks that draft in exchange. So I don't want you know anything where they, they give up Lawrence for some mid-first-rounder, like a third and a fifth or something. The third and the fifth are fine, but I also want at least one more first-rounder. I mean, they, if, if they want to give the first overall pick, they need to squeeze everything they possibly can out of the team they're trading with. Whether that be, you know, more picks, even a couple veteran linemen here. That'd be good. We could use that. Kind of go draft day style here, just like the movie. You never know. I think that, I mean, that'd put, put the Jets in a lot better position. But... You know, because the Jets are the Jets. I just hope they don't get taken advantage of because I feel like that that's that's what happens. Teams just take advantage of the Jets. Um, however, 
if they trade, if they decide to make those trades and, and, and get rid of that first overall pick, that means that they're putting their faith in Sam Darnold, and they still believe he's the, the franchise quarterback. So that's what they need to decide. Certainly Adam Gase needs to go. Doesn't matter who the coach is. I could coach that team. <laughs> I mean, my dog could coach that team. Like, that, like that's how poorly that team's ran. My dog could go there and, and, and run the, that team. I mean, come on. How, how bad of a coach can you be? Adam Gase needs to get fired. He needs. To, he really needs to get fired now and have and have Greg Williams get promoted. But they won't. They won't fire him right now. They'll wait till the end of the season. If they even do fire him, they love him for some reason. They really, really do, and I just don't get it. The Giants. Let's talk about them for a brief moment. They're one and six, yet they're still a game and a half back. That's how bad the NFC East is this year. Um, they play the Buccaneers this week for uh, games against the Washington football team, the Eagles, and the Bengals. So those three, those last three winnable games, I mean, I don't think they're going to steal one against the Bucks, but you never know. Um, so as bad as the Giants have been, they're really not out of it, so you can't give up on them yet. You also can't give up on Daniel Jones yet. I mean, Jones has definitely struggled this year. He... You know, five touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's 28th and 26th in the league. Um, 1,410 yards, 24th in the league, and a 65 QB rating, which is 22nd in the league. You got to give him at least one more year. You can't give up on this guy that you drafted as your franchise quarterback after just one year, or two years. So I, I know the, it, it, it is rough to watch him play. But, you know, it's just a sophomore, a, slop, a sophomore slump. I think he'll break out of it. The line is, in, is certainly not helping him any. But even with a good line, I think he'd still be struggling a little bit. But, I, you know, I think he bounces back next year. You know, he's young. He, you know, he's only 23. He, he's got plenty of time to develop. Don't give up on him yet. He, he still looks like a really good quarterback. Um, The defense has been, has been pretty good. I mean, the... I mean, they've been a, um, you know, like also still a top half defense, led by Blake Martinez, who's who's been an excellent signing for them with seventy three tackles so far. But right now, the team just needs a few more pieces, and like I said, it starts with the, with the offensive line. They have their blocking might be the worst in the league. They might be worse than the Jets, which is really saying something. But it's, ugh, I don't know. They just need a few more pieces. Um, you know, maybe an, another defensive lineman or or another back, another linebacker, and then on offense they just need linemen. They've got they got they got wide receivers. They got a a pretty good tight end in Ingram. I mean, how when healthy they have Saquon, but even Devontae Freeman is not a bad running back. And then obviously you got Daniel Jones, who like I said, I think he will bounce back. And you know, even and the Giants are almost in a good position because they could still go for the division, them not get it, and still get a good draft pick. I mean, that's almost a blessing in disguise, right there. You, it, you know, if you don't win your division, then you're guaranteed a pretty good draft pick. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Buccaneers game will be pretty telling. It'll be hard to come back when if they're one and seven. So 
if they have any hopes, they they need to beat the Buccaneers. So, it will be Sunday Night Football, eight fifteen ESPN, or Monday Night Football rather. Jeez, I can't read, folks. I can't read. We're gonna take one final break, and we're gonna just brush over a, a few things quickly. A couple NBA offseason dates. Go over the Zozo Championship real quick and check in with NASCAR. See how they're doing down in the Lone Star State. We'll be right back on WSB The Buzz, St. Bonaventure. I'm Nathan Solomon. Welcome back to the buzz. So like I said, we're going to check in on NASCAR here very quickly down in Texas. On the leaderboard right now, we've got Kyle Busch leading, Martin Truex Jr. second, Christopher Bell third, Ryan Blaney fourth, Alex Bowman fifth. Obviously, if you're listening to this on the podcast, this is like irrelevant right now because results can change. But they have four, like 14 to go. Um... We'll see how that what that does for all the all, all the playoff implications. Clint Boyer, who won stage one, he's 18th, one lap down. We'll see what happens, though. It'll be interesting if Kyle Busch can finally pull off a win. He he needs that win for him and his confidence. But while we're on NASCAR right now, let's talk a little silly season here. Kyle Larson to the number five car with Hendrick. So they're going to get rid of the 88, switch it to number five, with Cliff Daniels as the crew chief, Jimmy Johnson's current crew chief. Kind of surprised by that. He was, you know, fired, suspended by NASCAR, fired by Ganassi in April for a racial slur in an iRacing event. But he's back, and not just back, he's back with Chevy. I'm surprised Chevy wanted to come back with him. But here they are. They have, Larson has apparently gained or, or gotten, gotten Chevy to trust him again. And... Here they are. They're they're back together, and we'll we'll see what happens. Sponsorship not decided yet, or not announced yet, rather. But it'll be interesting to see who who wants to go, or or who pairs with Larson. Will it be the same sponsors? Will it be different sponsors? Will it be some of the '88 sponsors? We'll see. PGA Tour though. Patrick Cantlay wins the Zozo Championship at 23 under at Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California. John Rahm, Justin Thomas finish 22 under, just one back. Scoring off the charts. Um, you know, it was a smallish event. You know, only 78 entries, one guy withdrew. The worst score was six over. Three guys over par. One of those guys over par was Phil Mickelson. He finished 76 at 77 finishers, three over. Shot six over on the last round, which is not good for Phil. So disappointing week for him. Tiger, not much better. One under, two over in the final round, tied for 72nd. Again, a disappointing week for him. 
Um, so Tiger, he was considering playing the Houston Open the week before the Masters. He has decided against it. Phil is still up in the air because there's going to be fans there. He doesn't want to risk any potential exposure to the virus before the Masters. If he doesn't play that, though, he said he's going to play a Champions Tour event. Next week is the Bermuda Championship. Not really a, a fantastic field, but it's not expected to be. It's a lot of those guys that are just there to try to, you know, get those points, get a win, keep the tour card, or just kind of, or just pat onto what they have, you know, make a little little pocket change. So, uh, you know, not a spectacular field. A, f a few bigish names there, but nothing, no name too spectacular. Um, and then the Houston Open will be the, the week after that, and and that tournament should draw a, a pretty good field. And then after the Masters, though, there's nothing. There's nothing really big until the New Year. I mean, you've got after after the Masters, you got the RSM Classic, not a big event. The Mayakoba Golf Classic, not a big event. QBE Shootout, I think that's the one that's that's partnered with LPGA Tour. Um, uh, you know, two team shootouts against each other down in Southwest Florida. Or uh, you know, just kind of more more of a fun event. You know, you get 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 some points. I think get, get make some make some money. But it's just a fun event. It's it's a favorite. It's a good good track. And then you know that's December 11th through 13th. And then from there they don't play for another month. January 7th through 10th. That's the Tournament of Champions. And then you know that's obviously gets all the winners. Sony Open and and then the first big one really. Like, you start to after, to see like all the big names in is is the American Express, which is January 21st through 24th in La Quinta, California. So we're going to have a few a few dead months here. We were, it's really only going to be football in action, really. And now s switching to a little bit of basketball, the, the NBA Finals has been done now for a few weeks, and we haven't really seen much happen. Like... Or, or heard anything? There's, you know, there's been a couple, couple front office moves like Daryl Morey. He's going to the, to the 76ers. He, he stepped down from GM of the Rockets. Now going to, you know, run operations with with the um, 76ers. But as of right now, the draft is tentatively supposed to be November 18th, with free agency starting only a few days after. And they're hoping free agency can be nice and quick. And the plan right now is to start training camp on December 1st, which is just over a month from now. So they're going to be flying through the offseason. And right now the proposed date to start the 2020-21 season is December 22nd. I've also heard December 25th, so Christmas. And I've also heard January 18th, which is MLK Day. So they still, they still need to finish some, some dates up. Or finalize some of these dates, but regardless, it's going to be a, a quick off season. And then, like I said, the draft is only a few weeks from now. So right now, just looking at you know the top three in the draft, Anthony Edwards is the clear favorite to go to number one. That'd be to the Timberwolves this year as a freshman at Georgia, nineteen points, five rebounds, three assists, forty percent from the floor, twenty nine percent from three. He is the clear favorite for the number one overall pick. And in my opinion, I think that the number two pick is is James Wiseman. And he'd be going to the Warriors. 
I mean, that fit seems like a perfect fit. The the Warriors need a big man. If they put Wiseman in there, if surround him with Draymond, Anthony Wiggins, um, Clay, and Steph, that is a lethal, lethal starting lineup. And, you know, in a system like that, I mean, players obviously need their development time, but, I mean, he should be able just to jump right in and have success right away. And then LaMelo, I think he's the likely likely to go number three, and that'd be to the Hornets. Rumors say the Knicks could trade up to number three, but LaMelo would be would be kind of a good fit with the Hornets. They, they, they need a guard. They need somebody that can make shots, put the ball through the hoop, do a little bit of everything. So that, folks... That's about it for today. Thank you guys for tuning in here to the buzz on this on this uh, fine Wednesday here from St. Bonaventure University. And we'll talk to you again next week for another Nathan Solomon show. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. I hope you all have a great night. Signing off, Nathan Solomon.